Hey, Upper Room Dallas family. This past weekend, our founding leader, Michael Miller, touched on finding Jesus' leadership in a deceiving world, and how we can stay awake by keeping our hearts engaged to our primary life source, which is Jesus, and keeping our heart healthy and not looking to secondary sources for answers in a world that can easily make our heart sick. So we hope you enjoy this message has truly blessed our community and we hope it blesses you too. So love you. Thank you for tuning in to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 14. It is good to be with everyone. It has been a minute since I've been here. I've been... uh, traveling a little bit. Larissa and I, um, we got to spend a week in Redding, California with uh, Bethel Church, which has impacted us so deeply. Uh, Y'all are familiar with Bethel and Redding. Um, It's really a special uh, special time for us. We we actually, about three months before the Lord opened up the prayer meeting that would be in the upper room in Oak Lawn, um, we were planning on moving to Redding to go and be a part of uh, the church there. It has just deeply so impacted us, uh, Bill and the team. But um, this is a funny story. We, we went to dinner with a lady one night and uh, she had a dream about us the night before this dinner. We had never been to dinner with her before, never been to dinner with her since. And in the dream, she showed up at our dinner table with her Bible open and she read one verse to us. And she was a little embarrassed. Like she thought it was a silly thing because of the verse. It was out of Amos chapter five, verse five, which no one knows Amos five, five, like, and we're like, well, what's Amos five, five. And she was like, it says, seek Bethel and die. Seek me and live. (laughs) That wild. Obviously the Lord was telling us not to go to Reading. Um, And so it was really cool though, to go back to, to, because Upper Room has blessed their leadership and their church, um, just what we've been doing here in Dallas. And it was really cool to go, hey, you guys have scattered seed across the earth and this is your fruit returning to you. Uh, you have family in Dallas and, uh, and that was really, really special uh, time. And then we took our kids to Argentina for uh, about eight days. There was uh, our Tomatu Lagar family was hosting their annual conference. And I think I have some pictures of it. Uh, I have good news, Argentina is on fire for Jesus. Uh, that is us. That's me actually interceding for the flight. Um, and when you're in Argentina, you preach in a messy jersey. I don't know if you know that, but I just decided I was going to win in Rome. I threw that thing on and had instant favor with the Argentinians. So, um, and, and so Toma Tulagar's Marcus Brunette uh, and uh, Mariano Sigal, they are just leading a really powerful uh, move of God there in Cordoba, Argentina. We were in Buenos Aires. We saw uh, notable miracles and just God is doing such powerful things um, as well as they, uh, Israel was such a topic. It had already been uh, something they were planning on focusing on, but that happened the week before this conference. And, uh, and so we just had some strategic words that were given about this hour and deep intercession for the conflict and what's happening there. And uh, yes, so it is good to be back. I'm still mildly jet-lagged, but uh, I missed you guys, and uh, I will be back for the foreseeable future. So I was hoping to hop into a series on women and women in uh, ministry, which I'm going to plan on pushing that back a few weeks, because I want to talk a little bit just about 
um, what's happening culturally. And uh, I feel it's more of a pastoral word for us uh, as a church. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about the conflict there um, in Israel. I, Israel's been on our heart for years. Uh, we, we fasted for her. We have prayed for her. I did a series called the Maranatha series, and it was looking at uh, the biblical understanding of Israel today and the covenant that God is still in with the Hebrew people and the promise that he made to Abraham that they would have a lot of land. And uh, this conflict, um, we have to think of that. We have to think of God's covenant towards his people. And, uh, and I know that this is a complex subject. And uh, I wanted to put some resources together for you. Uh, I was going to kind of talk through uh, the conflict and give you biblical perspective. But one of my friends just did such a fascinating job on it. He did a really, really thorough job. And so I have a resource. It's a QR code here. And, um, and you can take a picture of this. And I interviewed Rabbi Jason Sobel. So he'll be here by the end of the year. We were just on the phone this afternoon. He's going to come and speak to us. Uh, I did an interview with him uh, on, it's on YouTube. It's about a 45 minute interview when I was in Argentina, we hopped on a, on a live and uh, he just had some great insight um, to how to pray for Arabs, how to pray for the Jewish people, how to pray for the church there. He laid out um, kind of how this conflict has come about and what he sees coming in the future. Um, there's also a sermon on there. The one I wanted to highlight was Lee Cummings. Lee's a dear friend of mine. He pastors Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And he preached last week a sermon called Israel, Iran, and the Coming Storm. And I, I just think he nailed it. He talks about the political uh, side of things, um, the historical side of things, and then the biblical side of things, the spiritual side of things. And I think it will give you great insight. There's so many voices speaking into this, and we need to be rooted in the biblical narrative, not the cultural one. Let me say that again. We need to be rooted in the biblical, biblical narrative, not the cultural one, because the cultural one, will, it's before you. It's everywhere. It's on your phones. It's on the news. It's at work. People are talking about it. And you need to know what the Bible says. You need to get, you need to get rooted in what the Bible says, that Israel is a place. It is a real place. And uh, God has plans and purposes for it. The church did not replace her. Um, the church was actually grafted into the covenant that he made with Abraham. These are his chosen people. And so we need to stand with them and we need to pray for them. And we also need to pray for Arabs. We need to pray for Gaza. We need to pray for all that uh, is emerging because it is a power keg right now. And uh, this, is, this is why we're a house of prayer. This is what I feel God birthed this church for us to stand on that wall and to pray in moments like this. Uh, there's some other resources. Uh, Mike Bickle has some uh, incredible resources as well. I put it all on this for you so you can go uh, through it. We also have one last thing, Time to Revive as a ministry here. I went to Israel with Kyle and they put some prayer points together that I'm adopting. I told them we were going to adopt them. We're going to pray those daily. And so those prayer points are on there as well. Uh, so there's a little resource. I'll continue to add resources, sermon clips, different things. I'm planning on doing a couple of interviews over the next couple of weeks. So I'll put all of that on that QR code. We'll show it every week just to get you equipped to engage culturally around what scripture says for the hour. Is that cool? Cool. Um, November 1st. Uh, we're going to launch a, we're, we're just going to invite you into, you can do this, you can pray about it, but we're going to have a corporate fast 
uh, for 21 days. Um, we really sensed, and this centers around the message that uh, I'm gonna share tonight, just to remove insulation around our hearts. Um, I, I was actually gonna talk about the heart tonight and just how to guard your heart, uh, how to keep your heart healthy. Um, in, in times of trial, in times of uh, uncertainty, in times of like, God, where are you in this moment? Uh, our hearts are impacted by that. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some real key revelations and truths that can help guide your heart and bring healing to your heart. But also one of the things that we do as a discipline and, and a spiritual way to engage with the Lord is to fast. When we starve our physical appetites, it's amazing what happens to our spiritual ones. Amen. And so I hate fasting. I like, I'm like, oh, and so I had, was going to talk about the heart. My wife came out of prayer and she's like, I just feel like we need to go into a fast about the heart of the church. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. Um, but as soon as I get into it, it takes a couple of days, but it just, something comes alive inside of you when you starve those other appetites and desires. So you'll hear more about that next weekend, but uh, that's November 21st. We good? All right, let me pray for us. Put your hand on your heart. Um, Lord, I want to I wanna pray. We talked about Israel, but, but I want to pray for her. I want to pray, Lord, for this conflict and that you, you, I pray for resolution. God, I've just been praying that you would intervene and have mercy on this region in this hour, God, that you would have mercy upon those living in Gaza tonight, that you would have mercy, Lord, upon uh, those that are scared in Israel, that you would give wisdom, Lord, to the leaders. Father, we pray ultimately that your son is revealed as Messiah, that Yeshua, you would start to just manifest in supernatural ways, and that this would be unto souls, Lord. This would be unto a great harvest. But Lord, would you intervene as you have previously, Lord, in these conflicts? Would you, would you do what only you can? We look to you and we pray for Israel. We pray Psalms 122, Lord, for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord. We pray for the peace of this city that is the apple of your eye, Lord. And uh, we just ask for your mercies, God, your mercies, Lord. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Father, you, you are in covenant with this people. You're in covenant with that land. And so, Father, teach us, grow us, mature us, Lord, in our understanding of this hour, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. All right, John 14, uh, it is the Upper Room Discourse. And um, these are Jesus's final words. This is, this is like a well-worn path in scripture for me. I, I, in the early days of the upper room, I didn't have a lot to do. No one was coming. And I was in a room with Jane Spring, who was an intercessor. The Lord said, you're going to pray morning, noon, and night in this room. And so I went to the school of prayer with her. And so she says, pray with Jane. And I want you to read the upper room discourse every single day. It takes about 15 minutes to get through. It's four chapters all read in your Bible. There's some deep theological truths in it. And uh, I just wore it out. And for about three months, I, I didn't learn a ton, meaning I knew most of what was in it. But about three months in, I started to see this thread that was happening real time around the table when Jesus is talking to his disciples. He was giving them a specific message. And there's theological truths that hang like, like we talked about the helper tonight. He introduces the helper. We have uh, John 17 is the, the high priestly prayer. Um, we have some like enormous realities of what was to come. But there's this real conversation that he's having with those that have been following him for three years. And he's trying to give them truths that will equip them for the hour that they're about to go through. Because things are about to go south. 
Like they think that they're going one way and Jesus is taking them another way. They think things are gonna turn out like this and things actually turn out like that. And there is going to be this void between expectation and reality. And that, that, that void between what you thought was gonna happen and what actually happens, that void impacts your heart. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how much you believe and try to grit your teeth and shout, when, when things don't turn out the way you thought they would turn out, and you end up over here instead of there, you've got to reconcile in your heart the gap. It's called the day of trouble. It's when, it's when something goes wrong. And if you don't process that gap, you'll get wonky on the inside. You'll get wonky on the inside. You, 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 your heart gets sick. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, meaning, meaning expectations that set off or expectations that aren't fulfilled. That gap makes you internally sick according to the Bible. And I know, I, I know more believers that are sick in their hearts. They have heart sickness and they've just learned to live in it. They've just learned that this, they've insulated and they've closed their heart off to others, but really they've closed their heart off to the Lord. And, and, and Jesus actually died so that you could have a whole heart. He died so that your heart could be whole in spite of what it's been through, in spite of what it's going through, in spite of what it will go through. He died so that your heart would be whole. He actually, if you look at the cross, if you do a forensic of the death of Jesus, Jesus didn't die of suffocation as typical uh, victims of crucifixion would. Uh, Jesus, and, and I could get into this medically, and it's, a, it's, it's just, uh, just to think about him. Um, it, it actually, you know, the, there's a prophecy, Psalms 22, it says, Your, um, my heart melts like wax. You ever heard that phrase? Heart melts like wax. It was, it was a, it was a, picture a metaphor of actually what would happen to Jesus's body because when they put the sword in his side and blood and water comes out it was uh, it was it's diagnostic if if you if you know the blood and the water his body had gone through so much trauma that that his blood had become like plasma it had become so thick that his heart could no longer pump the blood coming through it he died of heart failure he died of heart failure. And, and that's, that's really important how he died because he died with intent. He died to meet you in your death. Every, every blow that he took, every nail, every drop of blood was with intent. This is the precious lamb of God. I don't think Jesus had ever bled until he got into Gethsemane. He was blameless, perfect. He was perfect and he was the perfect offering. And, and the plan of redemption or let me say it this way, the power, the, the work of salvation, which is under the plan of redemption, the work of salvation, the cross, started in Gethsemane. And every blood, every bruise, it all had purpose for you. And so understanding that Jesus died of a broken heart, it was so that your heart wouldn't remain broken. But biblically, if you thought you were going this way and you end up over here, Biblically, the Bible says this makes your heart sick. And so we, we have to bridge that gap in order to live wholeheartedly. And, and I, I'm confident in the days ahead. I'm confident that the days ahead are going to be glorious for the bride of Christ. But I am also sobered that they're going to be gory too. There's going to be great glory and there's going to be 
gory things that, that, that the world goes through, and they are birth pains according to the Bible. They're birth pains, crying out for a solution. And there's only one. And I have good news, he's coming back. And I can say with certainty, we're closer to that than ever before. <laughs> but he's coming back. And one of the things, one of the, one of the biggest warnings in the end times, and don't think it can't happen to you. Don't think it can't happen to you. We, we've got to enter this season with humility. It can happen to anyone. One of the greatest warnings in Matthew 25 and when it talks about the times that we're living in, yes, there's gonna be like characters and nations and all kinds of things that happen, but Jesus is warning to his own as he says, don't be misled. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived. Why would you be deceived? Think about it. You would be deceived because we are looking for solutions. And messiahs present themselves. And if our hearts have gotten sick, our discernment is sick as well. And so in, the, in, the, in that day, says heart, the, the, the love of many will grow cold. And I think it's, it's diagnostic of the condition of people's hearts. Because I, I, like your heart, our hearts aren't, we can't, this is another thing, we, we can't process sin. Like I've been, a, I've been a pastor for 20 plus years. And I am aware of one thing is that when I go into a situation and I am dealing with someone else's sin, it could be a, a unfaithful, someone unfaithful in their marriage, it could be us, us bearing, and these are the effects of sin, this isn't the cause of someone's sin, but it could be us, us bearing um, someone that died too soon or walking through the shadow of death. When, when, I am, when I see the effects of sin on planet Earth, I have to be aware of this, I am incapable of rightly responding to it. There's only one who can lead me through those moments and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can touch sin and bring about righteousness. This is why the Bible says, this is why the Bible says, and this is, this is a scripture that I'm gonna go to here in a second, but this is why the Bible says we've got to be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to what? Anger. Take notes, guys. This is gonna be good. I'm serious. You need the Bible. You need it. You're going to need the Bible. So this is James 1.19. Be, be, be slow to speak, slow to anger, but be quick to listen. And I think we need to be quick to listen to the Lord first and foremost, but I also think we need to be, be quick to listen to others. I think it's important, in a, in a, in a, in a, meaning others that we're in relationship with. Like immediately, when this thing happened in Israel, I didn't hop on Twitter, I didn't hop on, on Instagram. Do you know who I, who I immediately started listening to? It was my messianic friends. That's who I called. I immediately called them and I started asking questions because I wanted to hear from them. I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna shout and share, I wanted to listen to those people that were in my lives that I knew this was impacting. So we've gotta be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And sometimes things make us angry, and in our response to our own anger, we end up not establishing God's righteousness. Does this make sense? Like you see an injustice, and you get really angry. And the world does that. They get really angry, but it just creates more anger. Anger begets anger. 
The anger of man cannot produce God's righteousness, which is why we need his leadership in the conflicts that are ahead. And I think it's the church's greatest hour because she's actually gonna have solutions sourced by the Holy Spirit. John 14, you ready? This is is really where I want you to get notes. Um, Because if I could teach my kids one lesson like outside of knowing Jesus and like Jesus is my Lord and Savior, it would be this one. It's how to steward your heart. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your hearts. It's the wellspring of your life. So if your heart is sick, your life is sick. Your filter for how you experience your world is right here. This is such a vital place. It's, it's valuable real estate. And so Jesus is gonna talk to his disciples about that. I'm gonna, this could actually be like a 10-part series um, but I'm gonna look specifically at Peter, what Peter goes through. And, and some of this is generalized to the disciples, which includes Peter, but I'm gonna show you a process that I think Peter's heart goes through and then his response um, towards the end of this. So look at John uh, chapter 13, verse 33, and I'll hop into 14. Uh, he says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now these are guys that had followed Jesus, left everything. So these are not words that they wanted to hear. Verse 35, um, actually I'll do 36. So Simon Peter, in his zeal, said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down my life for me? For, uh, for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. And then chapter 14, verse one, he says, do not let your what? Heart be troubled. So we're talking about the heart. So this, this theme of the disciples' heart started to be highlighted to me. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be, it's an inward stirring. Don't let the external impact the internal. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's home uh, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. For I go, everyone say, I go. I go to prepare a place for you. So this is the common theme. I'm going somewhere that you cannot come. Verse three, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may also go. And you know the way where I am going. Now, they're confused. And Thomas raises his hand at the Last Supper and says, I have a question. You've told Peter that he can't follow you because you're going somewhere that we don't know where you're going. But here you're saying you're going to prepare a place and we know the way. So he asked the obvious question, Lord, where is it that you're going? And Jesus gives him like the clearest answer. Well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which makes sense to us, right? Like, yes, of course, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But, I mean, these guys don't understand what Jesus is saying. And this is one of the things that trouble poses in our life. It's this question. And this is what the disciples begin to ask. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? If you think back in moments of time, maybe you've reconciled that. But if there's been loss, if there's been divorce, if there's been, again, you thought it was heading this way and it turned out that way, where were you, Lord, in the gap? And so this is, this is a question that the disciples began to ask. And for the time, sake of time, there's another question that's in here. It's what are you like? And, and oftentimes when we can't see the Lord, we begin to question his nature. 
And, and so we could look at that, but, but for time's sake, I'm gonna, because I wanna focus on Peter, I'm gonna jump to chapter 16. So Jesus is actually gonna introduce the Holy Spirit, and um, um, he's gonna say, hey, I'm going away, but I'm sending another, this other is the helper. Um, 15 is the fruit and the vine. End of 15, early 16, he starts talking about persecution, that hey, they're gonna kill me, and they're actually gonna kill you. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what, what? And then verse five of 16. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, what did Thomas ask Jesus two chapters earlier? Answer the question. What did Thomas ask Jesus two chapters earlier? Where are you? Now, what is Jesus saying in verse five? Now I am going to him who sent me, so I'm going away, but none of you ask me, where are you going? Even though you were asking me, where am I going? There's a point here. It's in the next verse. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. What things is he saying to them? Things that they don't understand. And because I'm telling you these things, even though I said, don't let your heart be troubled, I'm the one that's actually causing your hearts to be troubled because of what I'm telling you. And sorrow's impact upon a heart is detrimental. Sorrow's impact upon a heart is what makes a heart sick. Sorrow is oftentimes what fills the void of what you thought would happen and actually what happened. Sorrow is the result. And sorrow will make your heart sick. And I want to give you three things to, to, to be aware of when sorrow begins to come into your heart or hopelessness comes into your heart. The first one is that we stop asking Jesus questions that we once asked him. I once asked, where are you? But you, you didn't answer me the way I thought you would. And so I'm not going to ask you those questions that I once asked you. Or it can actually be, I love the young people in our house because when they get born again, they are wild eyed ready to roll. Send me to the nations. You know, like, like God spoke to me and I'm going to bring revival to Dallas. Oh my gosh. I believe he spoke that to you. But then what does he end up doing? He ends up taking you onto a process. He ends up taking you into this thing that, oh my gosh, I thought it was going to turn out this way, but you know, God does not move in straight lines. Does he? Like, I wish it was like from a to B, you know, What's the shortest distance to get there? No, his leadership is a river. It's forwards, backwards, left and right, rapids at times. Like that's the leadership of the Lord. And so, so I do believe he spoke those things, but oftentimes what happens when things don't turn out the exact way that we thought they would, they impact our hearts and we can actually shut down the dreams inside of us. Sorrow will abort those dreams that you're asking questions for, that you're going after and you insulate yourself to no longer dream because he just isn't gonna do what he said he would do. This is one of the effects of sorrow. We stop asking him questions that we once asked. And that's happening here. You ask me a question in John 14, six, you're no longer asking me those, why? Because I've said these things to you. The second thing is, is later on in this chapter, and instead of asking Jesus questions, look at what happens in, in uh, John 16, verse 16. This is powerful. He's gonna pick up this theme again. It's the hide and seek thing. It's like, I'm gonna hide. You seek me, you ain't gonna find me. 
He says it again, verse 16 of 16. A little while you will no longer see me. And a little while you will see me. Right? (laughs) So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this thing that he's telling us? A little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the father. So they were saying, what is this? He says a little while we do not know what he is talking about. So here's the third thing. Instead of asking Jesus questions, we end up asking Jesus's disciples questions. Instead of asking the one that's right before us, the questions that are in our hearts, we turn to those that are around him. And what we end up doing vicariously, what we end up doing is we have a secondhand relationship with the one that's right before us. So we run, we run to secondary things of the Lord, but we never truly connect to him. We'll run to a podcast. We'll run to a church service. We'll run to theology. We'll run to arguments. We'll run to blogs. We'll do all these things. And it's just scaffolding that's to support our connection to him. But because of sorrow, we close our heart off to him and we start to just grasp and live vicariously through people's answers for him instead of going to him. It's really good. I, 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 if I have a life message, I'm giving you one of them tonight. I have worn this thing out and this has gotten me through so much when I identify that, man, I'm not actually going to scriptures. I'm not actually going to the source. I'm supplementing my relationship with him and you can't live on vitamins. You can't try that out for a day. You can't live on supplemental nutrients. You need meat. You need food. And we're to get it daily from the source. It's just so, so crucial for your heart. So we stop asking him questions we once asked. We ask others and live vicariously through him. But this is, this is where it leads. Those are, those are entry points into where the disciples would go ultimately, and it's in Luke 22. What was inside their heart? Sorrow was inside their hearts. Go to Luke 22. It's same story, different book, but it's Luke 22. They go into the garden, and, uh, and Jesus takes them into the place of prayer. And in the place of prayer... You'll see this. Uh, Jesus came out, this is verse 39, Luke 22. Be a good note taker. Study this thing. In Luke 22, of verse 39, uh, he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. So they leave the upper room. They go to the place of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the disciples followed him because that's what they did. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them from about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray. So this is, this is a random, I think this is a detail that we don't examine enough, that Jesus actually warns his disciples not to fall into the place of temptation. So what's your name, brother in the hat? Right in the middle. Chris? All right, we don't know each other, but I'm, I'm the pastor of Upper Room, and I was like, hey, Chris, we have a prayer room here. Do you want to pray with me? And you're like, man, I'm at church. I'd love to pray with you. You're the pastor. I, that'd be awesome. So we come over here, and I'm like, hey, man, you sit here, and I'm going to sit here. But while I'm sitting here praying, you stay here. Don't sin. That would be a weird thing for me to tell you. 
as the pastor. Am I right? Like if you're going into the place of prayer with someone and they're like, hey, as you're, as you're praying, uh, don't give in to temptation. Like I, I, would, I wouldn't be able to pray. I would be like, what kind of person does he think I am? What does he think I'm going to do? Does he think I brought a flask into the upper room? Like, like, you know, like it's such a weird thing for Jesus to instruct his disciples who have been following him. Hey, Hey man, Chris, I know you love Jesus. And I know we're coming to the place of prayer, but as you pray right here, man, just don't give in to sin. I just start praying. You're, I just feel like you're going to, you're going to be a little dumbfounded. Like it's going to tweak you a little bit. Would, would that not? Like, that's what's happening here. I think we got to like, look at this. Like, Hey, don't sin when you pray. That's what he's telling them. But do you know that they actually would end up falling into temptation? And I want you to, I think this will give you a different understanding maybe of what sin is based on what happened in the garden of Gethsemane, because they would give into the temptation and you'll see it here in just a second. So Thanks for letting me use you, Chris. Really appreciate it. Uh, Verse 40, when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He withdrew from from them a stone's throw and he knelt and Jesus begins to pray. And he, he goes into this epic prayer moment. Like he is wrestling with the will of his father. The father sent him. It was the will of the father that sent the son. And he's wrestling with the will of the father. He's saying, remove this cup, but yet not my will be done, but yours. So he surrenders to the will of the one that initiated this plan. And this angel shows up from heaven, strengthening him. And Jesus, this is where the first drops fall out. So the work of salvation begins here. He's redeeming the will of man. It's what this blood is for. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. Sweats of blood began to fall down upon the ground from his face. And verse 45 is such a crucial revelation here. When he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping because they were tired. That's not what it says. That's what we think happened, but that's not what happened. This, these two words are so important for us to see. When he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping because it was late because they had too much food in the upper room. They were in a food coma. That's not what happened. It says they fell asleep and their sleep was sourced by something. It was sourced from sorrow. Where did the sorrow come from? The sorrow came from John 16, five, because I've said these things, sorrow is filling up in your heart. And here's the process that goes through. You enter through a day of trouble. You enter into uncertainty. You enter into a place where, oh my God, I thought it was turning out this way and it's turned out that way. And what happens to your heart is your heart, the trouble in your heart leads to fear. Fear then induces, because he actually says in John 14, 26, don't let your hearts be fearful. I missed that one. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful. But then he says this. He says, he says uh, because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Then he goes into the place of prayer, knowing that sorrow is in their heart. And he says, don't give in to the temptation that sorrow is presenting inside of you. What's the temptation? The temptation is to fall asleep. And there's many believers that are awake physically, but they're asleep spiritually. And that sleep has been induced by a trial that was never reconciled. And where we're going as a church and where I think the world is going, if we're not equipped to deal internally with what's happening externally, my fear is that many of us are going to get hoodwinked. If you don't know what hoodwinked means, it means deceit. 
It means deceived. How would you be deceived? Good night. It's everywhere. I thought I brought my phone up here. It's this. It's the nightly news. I know enough about the Israel conflict. I can watch the news and tell if someone is pro-Israel or not. I can see their, I know their agenda. Like as soon as they start presenting it, the words they use, the way that they, they slant different angles to a story, you can tell. There, there's, there's an agenda. There's an agenda all around us and it's after one thing. It wants to hook you. It wants to hook you. Little children, don't be deceived. But we have, to, we have to gird ourselves in truth to navigate the tribulations and trials that are ahead, both personally and I think collectively. So at this moment, do you know what happens? At this moment, um, a, a, a Roman garrison invades their prayer meeting. I don't know how many there were, probably dozens. They hear him running up to them and, and the guys wake up. And back in John's account, let's go to John's account, because I said I wanted to look at Peter. I think Peter's response is, is one that I want to warn us of. Um, I, think, I think there's three responses actually, Judas, Peter, and John. But I want to look at Peter's response. Because Peter, Peter wakes up. We don't often think about him asleep, but, but he wakes up and Judas kisses Jesus. And, and Jesus begins to address them. Who are you seeking? I am he, Jesus of Nazareth. And, um, and, and verse 19, and verse 10, sorry. John 18, verse 10. Simon Peter, coming out of his slumber, although there's still sorrow in his heart, he takes arms. He's gonna fight the cause. And he takes a sword, and he swings the sword. And as he swings it, he strikes the high priest's slave. So this guy's name's Malchus. And he strikes it, and he, he cuts off his right ear. And so Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheaf, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink of it? And then the cohorts arrest him and take him away. But the other accounts, as we know, it says that Jesus actually picked his ear up and healed his ear. He restored his ear. Now, I've always thought it's random that Peter, Peter caught his ear. And I was reflecting on it this week, and I was like, oh, no, I think I know what happened. And this is just me reading into it a little bit. But I think Peter was going for his neck. <laughs> I do. Because I think he turned like this and caught his ear. But I think Peter was, was, was ready to defend. He was ready to defend the cause. And I think Peter had the right posture but the wrong response. Meaning he was standing with the right person but he responded in the wrong way. And I think this is indicative of what was going on in his heart, that he wanted to take up a cause that he wasn't ready to. Peter's sword wounded the ear. What's the ear for? 
Hearing. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And I think that there's many culturally who are getting their ears cut off by the church because we may have the right posture but the wrong response. We're actually responding out of anger instead of compassion with the touch of the Messiah. Because Peter's sword wounded, but Jesus' touch actually restored. Why? Because of what was going on internally. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to mention this is because I think our response in moments like this is actually a testimony. It's a witness to those that are watching us. Because later on, look at this, later on in, in John 18... I'm giving you a lot of Bible. Look at this, John 18, verse 25. This is the third time Peter would deny Jesus. This is the third time Peter would deny Jesus in John 18, verse 25. And look how this story that we just read comes into play. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warning uh, and warming himself. So he's by a fire warming himself in Caiaphas's, the high priest's um, courtyard there near it. And, and someone came and said, you're a disciple of his. And he denied it. And he said, I am not. That was the second denial. But then look at this. One of the slaves of the high priest being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden? Meaning Peter's response was a witness. There were people looking. Now, it says it was a relative of the one that was healed. Now, I'm certain she had a different perspective of Jesus watching Jesus' response to what his disciple did. And my concern is that Jesus' response is much different than the majority of the churches in this hour. That we need, we need to have a sword that actually mends and heals, that doesn't cut and destroy. Does it mean we don't speak truth? No, it means we speak truth. But it comes from a place and a posture of revelation and a place and a posture of a heart that's actually not responding to the conflict, it's responding to that inward voice inside of us. That, that we've postured our hearts in such a way that that still small voice is the loudest voice in light of other voices that are coming at us. But we have to fight for that. And, and it's in the heart. It's in the heart. It's the soul traffic that you live in. It's the sound of music that you're under. And there is a lullaby in our nation that is putting believers to sleep. It's a demonic one. And there's also this demonic, uh, Jesus says he warns us to, to be aware of two things in our heart. It's two leavens. One is the leaven of, of Herod and the other is the leaven of the Pharisees. It's the religious spirit and the political spirit. And the other spirit, the leaven that's inside of us, is that political one. And I think that's actually what put Peter to sleep because they thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah in that moment, in the way that they thought he was. So what's my point in all this? My point is we have to wake up. And my point is also that we need to stay awake. <laughs> that just because you're awake today doesn't mean you'll be awake tomorrow. And if you're asleep today, you can wake up today. Because today, if you hear his voice, don't harden his heart. It's a daily walk with him. It's daily feeding yourself this. It's developing a relationship with this. Leftovers don't work in the kingdom. 
He feeds you daily and he sources your heart daily. But if you're living again from secondary means or you're not actually connecting to the one that's before you, your heart will close off to him. And if your heart's closed off to him, it will be open to something or someone. And I, I, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that he wants, he wants us to hear him. I'm, I'm convinced that he, he, he said, my sheep know my voice. And I think, I feel this so strongly in my heart. I've never thought of it this way. I think there's people in this room and you're sheep today. You're sheep today. But, but in the coming days, because you're listening to his voice, as you listen to the shepherd's voice, sheep become shepherds. Like I'm a shepherd right now, but I'm always a sheep. But I know that I got into this place as a sheep because I was following the shepherd. And my greatest awareness as your shepherd is that I'm always a sheep. This is really good. I feel like I, there's a lot of Saturday night, baby. If this was Sunday night, they would be hanging off those rafters doing like flips and like, oh, we'd be spraying everyone with oil. Listen, I think some of the most gifted, prominent leaders of the next hour are under 30 right now. They are some of the most gifted leaders the earth has ever known because of the dynamics that the earth is about to face. But they're not shepherds yet, they're sheep. And some of you are learning to hear his voice like David did in the back 40 so that when that Goliath is before you, you have a history as a sheep so that he can position you as a shepherd. There's a level of you developing a history and intimacy and a connection and a rootedness with the one that you're following. I'm supplemental, upper room supplemental. We're called to be a part of family. We're called like the local gathering. This is so, we need one another, but we need one another to connect to him. And it has to be unto him. It has to be, man, I'm gonna tether myself. I'm gonna tether myself to the voice of my shepherd. And it's cultivated over, over, over days. It's cultivated over time. It's cultivated over, over weeks and seasons. But I feel that there's some in this room, you're sheep now, and you're like, man, God, I don't know what you have for me. Lord, do you even see me? You're picking out all the other brothers. Everyone else, it seems like the Father sees, but I'm just out here in the middle of nowhere. What am I doing? I want to tell you, you're learning how to find his voice in the secret place. You're learning to find the mysteries that, that are hidden in the dark places. Some of you are going through trial right now, and you're in fire right now, but on the other side is, is, is a faith that has been tested and tried, and it's sound, and it's pure like gold, and it will weigh, it will e carry eternal weight of glory because of how you're walking through this in faith. The Lord's measurements are not the same as ours. God's not that impressed with this revelation tonight. He's not. It's not new to him. <laughs> I, I'm not that impressed with it. I'm not. I just want to be faithful. And I feel like some of you are in the fire and you're like, I don't have a platform. I don't know if anyone sees me or what's my significance. And your significance is the one that's right before you. 
and just that you will flush out the sorrow of the past because sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning and the promise of joy. Listen to this. Listen to this. The promise of joy is joy is your strength and sorrow wants to take your strength away. But God says those areas of sorrow are actually going to position you for grace that will bring about fresh strength. And listen to me, the promise, the promise. Do you know how you get from sorrow to joy? Joy may last for the night. Or, I'm sorry, sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Do you know how you go from sorrow to joy? I'll tell you. It's Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. That's why when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his promise isn't some promise of like, oh, I'll bring life on the other side. He doesn't say that. You know what he says? He says, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sorrow, I will be with you. I will be with, what's I will be with you? It's the presence of God. What's the presence of God? It's the joy in your presence is fullness of joy. We've got to link presence and joy. Presence isn't a good worship song. He's, he uses those. He uses those. He uses those. He likes those. He likes that song we were singing earlier today, but he was trying to wake some of you up saying, I want to strengthen you in my presence because there's a joy that you're missing because of the sorrow. But in a moment like that, while we're up here screaming and like, oh my gosh, wake up, wake up. We're saying he's here and he comes with an initiative. He comes with a desire to do something in your heart because your heart is precious real estate to him. When Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled to his disciples, he's looking at his future home. That is good. Thank you. It's his future home. I'm going to live there. What I'm about to go through, it's going to provide a space for me. Yes, was he going to prepare a place for him up there? Yes, but he was also preparing a place for himself in them. <sighs> you are precious to him. Your trials are precious to him. It's a big deal to him. What you've been through, what you're facing, it's a big deal to your Lord and Savior. He sees it, and he just wants you to look at him. Therefore, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. We throw off all that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Where does he author and perfect faith? Right here. This is his canvas. Today, if you hear my voice, would you let my word be written on your heart? Oh, I know you've been in church before. I know that, that you know verses and can quote certain things, but there's this fresh revelation of faith that he wants us to live in, and I believe it's 